Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Bipolar podcast hosted by Emma Bell and brought to you by Bipolar UK. You can find all of our resources at www.bipolaruk.org. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar, brought to you by Bipolar UK. And in this episode, our guest is Steve Gilbert, OBE. So welcome, Steve. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm good. Good. Um, I just want to start with an introduction, if that's okay. Could you let everyone know who you are, kind of what you're about and... Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so my name's Steve. Um, <laughs> I uh, I live just outside of Birmingham. Um, grew up in Birmingham, uh, and that was where I became unwell. Um, and I hadn't, I didn't really know, kind of growing up, but there's quite a lot of mental illness in my family. Um, turns out that we've got. I'm not the only person with bipolar disorder and there are also relatives that have got schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder um and but when you're kind of growing up things are how they are and you don't realize that anything's really that different until you kind of go out into the world um i left home when i was 19 um it wasn't really um kind of psychologically or or physically safe for me to stay at home Mm -hmm. um I was at university in the same city uh in in Birmingham and at 19 you think right I'm gonna go out to the world and I'm gonna get my degree and you know I'm gonna work hard and you know not expect anything to just kind of happen for me but I'm willing to work um and I kind of bumbled through university I had uh, kind of a, a range of uh, different um, kind of challenges, but I just thought they're just challenges that everybody has. And it wasn't until I was 21 and studying for uh, a master's that I had what I now know was depression. Um, and this is the first time that things in my life had become so bad that I had to go and seek medical attention and that. Mm. I really had to go and see see someone about that and I just remember it being a really terrible experience it was a big uh, um, medical practice that was close to the university and it, and it um, uh, looked after a lot of students and I just remember having going multiple times and having this argument with the uh, the doctor uh, and I think it was around January time um, mm-hmm. And this was January 2006. And the doctor kept saying, oh, I think you've got seasonal affective disorder. And I was like, well, I'm not saying I don't have that, but there's also something else kind of going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting up in the morning, well, struggling to get up in the morning. And it's also, um, you know, almost impossible to get out of bed. And I was, it was taking me forever to get dressed. And I'd get halfway down the road and, and I'd burst into tears and go home and, trying to communicate to someone that this didn't feel normal um so that was really kind of my um as I said my first contact with um, a medical professional um and yeah as kind of um the story kind of goes I when I was 24 had a very 
very bad depressive episode, became suicidal, um, and then ended up under um, proper uh, mental health care under a mental health trust. Um, the same happened a year later when I was 25, and then when I was 26, I had a manic episode, and, and that's where I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder. So I spent three weeks in hospital, which is a really relatively short period of time compared to, um, you know, far too many people that I know that, mm-hmm. that live with um, illnesses like bipolar disorder, but really long enough, A, to be locked away, um, mm-hmm. but luckily it was long enough um, for me to get that diagnosis. Um, so that's kind of a, a, a real kind of very potted history in terms of um, how we came to find out that I had bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the other side to the story is uh, how I kind of almost came to be on this call with you and that, you know, how I got involved with the work. And um, so I, my diagnosis came in 2010. And um, you say you were diagnosed like, in 2010, but when do you know that you were first affected by bipolar because that they're always well not always but most of the time different answers it's a really it's a really good question I'd, I'd say maybe a couple of years before that mm-hmm. the, there's there was a moment where I was talking with my friend and it's really funny because we both remember this quite quite differently and I think I just got over the first major depression. Mm-hmm. Um, this was when I was, tw- I just turned 25. And I remember joking saying, oh, what if I've got bipolar disorder um, like Stephen Fry? Um, now, my friend didn't really say anything at the time, but she just kind of looked at me. And since we've kind of spoke about it, she said, actually, I'd suspected for, for some time that you'd had bipolar disorder. Um, I think one of the things that is quite difficult around bipolar is you, you almost, I think you need somebody that sees you on a daily basis mm-hmm. that you trust to be able to say, you know, in a really kind of loving and supportive way, the, you know this is what's going on especially in terms of high mood I think mm-hmm. low mood it's quite clear and I was able to kind of identify that myself but I think in terms of that um even kind of hypermania mm-hmm. um you just think oh, I'm feeling really good and I'm really energetic um and one of the things that certainly characterized my early adult life was that I sort of left home when I was 19 so I didn't have any constant adults in my life from when I was 19 until, um, you know, my life fell apart when I was 24. And, and um, you know, my friend said, look, you know, we've got a spare room. Do you want to come and stay here for a while? So mm-hmm. I'd kind of that that period between kind of 19 and, and 24, which is so crucial around mental illness and 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 what's kind of going on there um looking back i now look at behaviors and kind of go 
right, that was the early signs of mm. um, bipolar disorder. Um, it, it's interesting that you say that because, and I love that you say that because I think it's a really important factor in why so many people go undiagnosed for such a long time. Because when we are not, as you say, when you don't have a constant single person that's keeping that perspective of you, because it's very difficult for us to keep that perspective ourselves, especially when we're not aware that we are living with bipolar, then we can easily ride it and hide it for a very long time. And I say ride and hide because we hide when we're low and it's a manageable low until it gets so low it's unmanageable and we come out for help. So then we present to the doctors like I did. It's very familiar what you're saying. I didn't present to a doctor until I was suicidal. But guess what? All the other time I was riding it or hiding it. I had no idea what I was doing, but looking back, that's what I was doing because guess what? Hypermania was great. I was buzzing. I was smashing it, right? And it's similar to what you're kind of saying to me. So this kind of ride or hide thing, I think is um, a huge contributing factor to why it can take so long. Yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I'd not heard it put in those words, you know, kind of ride or hide, but it, it is, um, it, it is so true. And I think also just thinking about young adult life, it is turbulent. You, you know, you are, along with all the other young people, you're trying to figure out your place in the world. You're trying to figure out what do I want to be? What do I want to do? Um, mm -hmm. You know, relationships and, and um, you know, when I, I mean, when I look back at some of, you know, certainly around drinking and it almost seems completely alien to me, but, you know, there were periods where I was just, it was really unhealthy. Oh, yeah. But also, and I, and I kind of mention around kind of adult because even though um, I didn't, I didn't really have any uh, strong friendship groups. I was around, you know, did have, um, you know, kind of mates and, and, and course mates and stuff. But you know, say for example, if, if you were slightly high, well, when you're at university, that sort of behaviour is not you know, doing stupid things or... Yeah, well, it can be chalked <laughs> up. It can be chalked up to young, crazy behaviour of a typical young... And I don't mean crazy as in mental illness, yeah, you know, the stigmatising just... word, but, like, I was young and crazy and carefree and, woo, had a great time, chalk it up to being young and carefree, right? And so it, it can also... Yeah, you're right. It's a really good point like it can really go missed just within those young adult years where we're transitioning from being a teenager into a young adult when guess what we've had our we're free we're freed it we're flying free we're flying solo we're tr possibly transient characters in lots of different social groups I mean it makes sense to me that it does get chalked up to being kind of crazy and young you know yeah yeah it's um i think what's quite interesting is that the, the circumstances that led to me being um detained under the mental health act were, were were fairly dramatic um 
and then you kind of go, you know, even though it was 21 days, it was not a very nice experience. Mm. But actually being, getting that unwell, in my case, almost fast forwarded the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Because I just think, you know, and, and it's so painful to know that you know for some people it can it can take 10 to 15 years to get that diagnosis mm-hmm. um partly because of the 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 kind of the the ride or hide but also i mean i i had the nicknames <laughs> nicknames that were dangerous steve mad stars mad um, stars <laughs> that was you know like it was i was and this was when I was like 14, 15. So you kind of almost get this identity sometimes when you're younger. Um, And almost, I think sometimes it's quite difficult for people because that does almost become part of your identity. Mm -hmm. So therefore, especially if you're hiding elements of your, your realness, whether or not you know you're ill um, or whether you're, you know, you're completely unaware that you might have bipolar disorder it's it's just it's yeah it's really quite sad and and it's quite funny you were just saying about you know having someone alongside you you know and and all these years on from that summer in 2010 you know had a a bit of a difficult day on on Sunday and you know we're still trying to figure this out and it's still you know my friend um who is you know having to kind of walk alongside me and, and having to um as much as we know there's still so much guesswork and you know she says something that she thinks the right word and and sometimes it isn't and sometimes it's quite dramatic um so you know that that needing someone alongside you just kind of never goes away um mm. you know and, and just eternally grateful to to Kathy and mm. um yeah Sorry, I'm just rambling now. No, but it's, do you know, it's nice though, because um, we don't get through these things and really come into sort of any place where we can be stable on our own, right? For me, the most healing has come from community, whether that be people that have bipolar like me, whether it be a close friend that just sticks with me through thick and thin. I've got always gone to really dangerous places when I've suddenly thought I can do this on my own. It never ends up anywhere good. And I don't mean, you know, like go public on your Instagram, that's not, whatever it is, but just a group, a doctor, somebody, um, but getting through this stuff on your own, it, it's never left me anywhere good. I don't know about you. I've only ever found good from when I've asked for help and lent on someone a bit and, you know. I know, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think... Um... I mean, you know, like you, you contacted me, I think it was just before Christmas. Um, and I am terrible at getting back to people, mainly because I throw myself into work and, and um, you know, work is, uh, work is purpose for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's what really keeps me going, but then I'm quite often really tired. Mm. Um, but this was always something really important for me to do with you um mm. not just because of you know it being bipolar uk um 
but partly because you know when we did that that webinar that we did uh, again a couple of months ago mm-hmm. you know I do a lot of work around kind of mental health and mental illness but there is something about being with your people yeah there's there's <laughs> there's you know there's there's brings a whole new meaning to find your tribe right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and so it was just like you know I really wanted to do this because there isn't you know it's not saying that you know bipolar is the worst form of mental illness it's not about that but it it's I almost it's you know despite all the the bad stuff that kind of goes with it it's a really funny illness and <laughs> I just it, it, it throws up the funniest stories <laughs> yeah. that you can only really discuss with someone that knows what you're on about. And it's like, oh, well, have you ever, like, you know, thought this or, <laughs> y- you know. I do know. Have you ever <laughs> just do. wanted to, like, throw your tablets across the room and, you know, and then <laughs> you do. And then, I mean, I've done that. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> got to pick them up. Now I've got to take them. And you're just, like, cursing at your tablets. And it's like... You know, again, that's not unique to, to bipolar, but mm. I think that the fact that it it just impacts your life in so many ways, but a lot of the time we're not unwell or really mm. unwell, but it's still having that impact yeah. either through how you've had to adapt mm-hmm. um, or how it manifests at kind of low levels or the mm-hmm. impact of the medication or all other things. Mm. Um so no, I, I love my bipolar family, um, and yeah, just um, there's it, it's very. You're right. It's honestly being in that room when I went to one of the bipolar UK when we could be, you know, in the flesh, person to person back in those days um, I remember <laughs> I remember those days um but yeah, I mean, I remember going into that room and I was terrified because I'd been diagnosed and you know, left to your own devices, you can really feel like I am the only person that feels like this. I am the only person that this, that feels everyone else is normal. Why can't I be normal? Um, Nobody else thinks these ways. I don't say these mind boggling thoughts that are going through my head because then they'll probably lock me up and they'll probably really think I'm crazy. And guess what? But actually I've been told I'm crazy and like, oh, so no, I just won't say anything. Anyway, so I just had convinced myself that no one really knew. And when I stepped into that room, I remember I was so sweaty, so shaky. It was a circle and everyone kind of started saying their thing. And then someone came out with something a bit, you know, left field. And I was like, whoa okay and they were like yeah so basically <laughs> at the weekend da, 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 and he was there with his wife and uh, at the weekend I did xyz and I was like uh-huh and I started thinking yeah okay I think I may have found my people and then I said shared did my share and I looked around the room and everyone's going yeah yeah happens and I was like oh, I found my people <laughs> and it was comforting and um yeah, it, it was a it was a real life changing moment for me, really. I think it, a shame shedding moment for me too. Yeah, I mean, I think I think shame is I mean, sh- shame is such a big part of um, kind of lots of different um, long term kind of mental illnesses. Mm. I think 
I'm going to come back to shame in just a moment, but uh, just reflecting on when I, being in hospital, you know, again, it was really, really difficult experience. But the one thing that certainly wasn't difficult was I didn't have to pretend not to be crazy. It was just like, oh, we're all crazy in here. (laughs) So it was just like, you just kind of got on with it. And then I remember coming out and I was like, how am I going to find the people that are crazy like me? Like you've just said, like, I was like, well, they don't wear badges. And, you know, like it was just no one's talking about this. I mean, you remember, this is like still back in 2010. Mm-hmm. So we were nowhere near no. where we are. No. You know, I mean, you, you go on, pick up any newspaper, you know, you'll find at least one story about mental health, mental illness mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Back then, that wasn't the case. And no. if it was, it wasn't always reported well. It wasn't always um I was know, diagnosed in reporting. 2010. And honestly, the the lack of, the lack of mental illness support and awareness at the time, it, you know, it, it's light and day to now. It is light and day, isn't mm-hmm. it? It really is, yeah. So that kind of, um, so my, I kind of went, um, I was sort of about 18 months where genuinely didn't meet any other than like internet forums um, and a small group of people I found on Twitter. Um, I didn't meet anybody in real life until I went to a course in how to manage bipolar disorder that was um, actually um, put on by my mental health trust and mm-hmm. um, they piloted this approach. And it was a bit like going to class. Um, it was a 10 week course and every Tuesday morning. And again, it was just so weird because you know it's like try not to use it uh 10 nutters <laughs> no we're allowed to use stigmatizing language <laughs> for the purpose of education but it was it was just like oh right here are here are nine other people like me their brains don't work quite as well as they should do and you know that's where i was really at and and there was just something about not having to pretend. Oh, and yeah. some of those people I'm still friends with now mm-hmm. because it's not even, I mean, for that, it wasn't even just like, oh, you've got bipolar disorder. It was that we had, um, you know, some people choose to try to ignore the diagnosis and I get mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, depends on which day of the week it is. Um, I I never fought my diagnosis, and to be in a room with nine other people who were all struggling with their their illness, but were trying to find a way mm-hmm. to not let it dominate their lives, mm-hmm. just that was a real saving grace, and and quite, again, quite you know, empowering actually. In it a way. Is, and I've, I've still got the I've still got the course book. Oh. Um, 
I think uh, that's quite was... an empowering environment because guess what? It's people say it's people owning their stuff. And I think that's massive in recovery. It's not and this thing about pretense, I am with you. Like the minute I have to start pretending, I immediately feel exhausted. I just think it's the most exhausting thing that we can ever have to be asked to do ever. Um, I'd be a terrible actress. So like <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'm too tired and need to sleep. But um, you know, or maybe it'd be nice to get lost in someone else's uh personality for a bit but you know i don't know um but it's just it's exhausting but there's something really empowering in just owning your stuff and yeah. being in a space like that with other people who are saying hey look i'm not perfect and i'm by no means a master of this but guess what i'm here to learn and i'm here to kind of take my power back and learn what i can to empower myself alongside living with this that's 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 a really empowering space to be a part of and I can see why that would have been hugely beneficial for you it it was and and, and, I, and I think kind of coming back to, to to shame so that was kind of one of the things that we were able to discuss um I mean for me and and it and it's still it, it's still you know, lurks within me is, you know, explosive anger. Mm. And, you know, certainly when I'm, um, you know, beyond hypomania and I'm, I'm manic, mm-hmm. you know, that degree of aggression is unbelievably scary. Yeah. I've never hit anybody, um, but I, I, I almost kind of have this, 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 this visual of me, you know, being like this far away from, you know, people that I care about and absolutely just screaming in their faces and then mm-hmm. storming off and, you know, literally booting doors um you know sometimes causing damage and and do you feel scared when you feel like that i do now at the time i didn't um Mm -hmm. but as soon as it's over it's just you know i mean i I literally just a bag of tears and Mm. So exhausted, but but after that exhaustion's kind of gone, just that shame is just that. Then makes it very very difficult. Um, and you know, as much as we've worked, and and you know, it is work, and and you know, myself and my, my friend, and she's you know, been uh, supporting me for gosh since like two thousand and eight, and you know, my. Um, uh, CPN and my, my doctor mm-hmm. you know I, I think the sad you know I take my medication and I don't drink alcohol and I do all the things you're meant to do and still these things happen mm-hmm. and still I take personal responsibility which I feel is right but again there's that part of you that's just like is that shame and I know for some people um you know, it's money and it's spending, or for some people, it's mm-hmm. um, you know, to do with sex and and yeah. um, 
you know, destructive behaviors. Um, and, it, and, and, I, and I think, again, when I kind of come back to a group of people that understand Mm-hmm. it isn't that we get a free pass from our community or anything like it's not even about that it's just mm. i get it yeah how do how 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 do we learn how do we build how you know yes. and yes. and that for me is do you think I, it's like sorry. the difference between you're a bad person and you're a good person who happened to do a bad thing? Do you see what I mean? I know exactly. Because there's a what difference. Yeah, and yeah. I think shame tells us I behave like that. So fundamentally, I am a bad person. Whereas when I talk about some of the kind of crazier aspects of my symptoms and behaviors as a result of bipolar, amongst a group of people that get it, they will never they're never going to look and judge me silently or, or or outwardly as a bad person they're going to say oh yeah that wasn't cool but we still think you're a good person and it's not a shame inducing right you're uh, you're absolutely right and i think that my, my friend jokes sometimes that you know and she has license to to think this way she said Sometimes I'm, uh, you know, it's more, it's more low level stuff. Sometimes she says, I'm not sure if it's that you're, you know, you're just slightly unwell. I won't use the word that she says, but, you know, or are you just being an idiot? And that's the, you know, that's the PG version. Because, <laughs> I, but I, and I think, and I think, you know, sometimes valid I'm just question. being an idiot. <laughs> um, valid question. <laughs> valid question. Um, but I think that sometimes, you know, it is, um, it is because I'm unwell. I think, I think the thing that is, and again, you know, kind of when I talk about learning to live with bipolar, there was something different about living my, with bipolar to when I thought that I was um, someone that lived with depression. And, and, and I think it's that when, when, when I wasn't depressed, it was just like, keep, you know, keep an eye on the things that might make you depressed, but you actually don't need to make that many changes to your life. Whereas bipolar, everything had to be reviewed. Oh, yeah. And I think that the other thing about shame is that it is those people that walk alongside us that, and I think this is, I think if there's two aspects of, of living with bipolar that I'll always struggle to live with, one of them is the side effects of the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one is the impact that it has on the people you care about. Sure. And regardless whether or not, you know, very, very small amount of time I'm being an idiot. Or <laughs> if it's because I'm, you know, I'm He's not owning well it. Or, He's owning it. He's like, I'm oh. owning it. <laughs> I'm owning this amount. <laughs> no, it's more like this. Um, and... Or if it's because, you know, like, like you know, again, this weekend, you know, it, it, something flared up and 
that person, even though that person knows that that's part of the illness, for them they're still they're still living it. They're still, yeah. And that is always so difficult. And you know, you spend the next hour apologizing. And I I know that my my friend A didn't need the apology, appreciates it, but certainly doesn't need a hundred. But it's like. I just struggle to kind of find ways to 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 make it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, again, it, it it's so. These are all the realities of living with it, and and then mm-hmm. I'm going to chuck in that thing there that you know sometimes people go, oh, I'd love to have bipolar disorder. I'd get loads of cleaning done. Mm-hmm. You might, yeah, because that's awful- what it's like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might get a bit of that done, but there's an awful lot that comes with it. <laughs> there's an awful lot that comes with it. Yeah. There's an awful lot that comes with it. Wouldn't it be lovely if it was just that? But um, it's a bit, I was having a conversation actually with uh, somebody who lives with OCD and we were talking about similar, you know, how people say, oh, you know, you're really OCD because you've got neat cupboards. And we're like, yeah, if that's all it was, right? But it's not. That's and it's it these kind of throwaway comments, but it's just not, it's not reality, is it? Um, so I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Um, I know that you live with bipolar disorder, but you also live with complex PTSD. Um, and can you tell me how that kind of adds into the mix for you? Um, in terms of, does it, does, do the triggers that trigger your PTSD trigger illness within bipolar how does it show up for you it's a really good question um i think i'll I'll come at it from a slightly different angle and see if i can kind of tie the two bits together Mm -hmm. so so i was i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in summer of 2010 Mm -hmm. and it was you know, a good couple of years trying to find the right combination of meds and and stuff. And then I'd say I'd got through to about late 2014 and we'd done an incredible amount of work on how the bipolar was manifesting. Mm-hmm. And... there were still things happening that we weren't really kind of chipping away at, if that makes any sense. Um, and what, what what actually happened was I was doing, um, they're called depth interviews, um, and I, w- I was doing some depth interviews for a Time to Change um, program, and this program was called Refugee Radio. And as part of these depth interviews, you had to find out a little bit about why people were going. So you weren't interviewing the participants or people that had got along. Um, but I was just kind of trying to get the context as to why these individuals were going along to this funded program. And it's kind of in the name refugee. And, and, and these were people that had um, come from, from uh, different parts of Africa. And they were fleeing um just awful situations um disease um 
war. You know, many had lost family members. Many had lost everything. And they're, they're, they're kind of telling these accounts. And, you know, to be clear, in no way was I comparing my life to theirs. Mm. What was really interesting was the symptoms that they were describing. Mm-hmm. And they did 10 of these interviews. And I was kind of looking at the forms, kind of going, I recognize these words. So I mm. kind of wrote them down. And then I rung my CPN and I said, first of all, I'm not saying I have PTSD, but listen to this list and tell me if you recognize it. So I, I kind of read out the list and she said, yep, I recognize those. Um, it's probably best if we discuss it when you next come in, which we did. And then we decided that um, it might be worth meeting with one of the psychologists just to kind of get their opinion. So I, I had a, um, an assessment with one of the psychologists and she said, oh, that's, that's, that's type 2 um, PTSD. I was like, excuse, excuse me? And she said, oh, um, it's more commonly known as complex PTSD. And I said, oh, I've never heard of that. Mm. So she then went on to, to explain that, you know, PTSD in the traditional sense um, can often, you know, be brought on by one horrific um uh, incident, mm-hmm. which is why we tend to kind of um, link it to people that have been in terrorist incidents or you know horrific car crashes, as well as people that have been um, in war zones. But she said, but that that's just one form of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, what you're actually describing in terms of you know. Um, things that you've been experiencing they're they're symptoms of this complex ptsd which is almost the almost the opposite and it's very very low level um incidents which on their own are nothing mm-hmm. um which is also quite uh unhelpful when trying to get help mm-hmm. um but she said that you know these you know these low level um, experiences that you're having, if they persist for long periods of time, can cause lasting damage. Yeah. Um, and then you know, um, in, in my case, it was the uh, psychological abuse um, by my father in particular. Um, but you know. Uh, now really includes certainly my mother and, and my siblings and, and persists to this very day. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really interesting was, and how I kind of processed it, was that the diagnosis of bipolar disorder explained how my brain was now functioning, mm-hmm. but it had never explained why it had started to function in that way Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I've always kind of questioned around mental illnesses Mm -hmm. people don't just get unwell there has there's something that starts it Mm -hmm. Um, so for me the the PTSD almost explained it's kind of its own thing but it also explained partly 
how I came to have bipolar disorder. Yep. Um, I think in terms of how it, it, it manifests, um, anxiety um, mm-hmm. and hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I've been on, um, so I've been on lithium for nine years, eight, nine years now. Um, and I've, uh, for a long time, I've, I've had a combination of um, lithium and, and lamotrigine. Um, yep. Just because too much lithium makes me really, really sleepy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, so I've had treatment for that, but then since, since maybe. 2017 yeah so we, we so we kind of tried for a while um so i actually had quite a, a, an intensive course of therapy um which was like 16 sessions mm-hmm. in 2016 one of the toughest things i've ever done so we kind of you know so we again we didn't just go straight to med so we kind of um sought to address um you know get up there and and and, mm-hmm. and, and address mm-hmm. um but what we were finding was that that had helped um but then there were periods some of which we understood and some of which we didn't understand so christmas is always really quite difficult december my birthday is in early december so that was always really difficult but for some reason um September's really difficult as well um and and I think it must have been 2017 it just really peaked mm-hmm. and um my hypervigilance was just uncontrollable mm-hmm. um and for some reason it, it, it's um uh things in my periphery and sounds mm-hmm. and so if we were stood in the kitchen and even though I could see you and like you might be a you know five meters away in the kitchen so you're not like right next to me if you move i would jump mm-hmm. and it got to the point where i mean i could be literally jumping around like a pinball mm. um every second Ugh. and what's really hard to to describe is every single time that happens it's a pure fear response absolutely um so it's not just that it's energy you know taking up energy in terms of literally me kind of jumping but it's that you know that adrenaline that's just constantly pumping Mm -hmm. um and it was it was starting to happen in public Mm. um so that's when we added um sertraline into mm-hmm. the mix of what was really um kind of an additional challenge around the sertraline was it was um there'd been a bbc program which i can't remember the name of but it was basically does sertraline make you a serial killer oh wow um, it was it was there was Helpful. a ca- there was a case where uh, you know a, um, a youngish lad 
um, in America had you know killed like scores of people in, um, in and happened to and be taking sertraline. It happened to be taking sertraline. Wow, and even... that's like saying you know, do Weetabix make you a serial killer? I mean, come on, really? Do you know what I mean? He could have had Weetabix every day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's about as relevant as sertraline. <laughs> Ex- exactly, and, and and I remember, oh, I, I remember kind of watching that, and the mental health community were. You know, it, it, it got critiqued really heavily, but Good. it was still and even though even though I know that the reporting was poor and that it was, you know, mm. it, it such a poor evidence base for making such an argument, you're still going, I don't want to take this. Um That and- makes sense to me though, if you're in this hypervigilant state, because you're you become acutely aware of anything that is risk anything at all you're 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 like you're on this danger alert danger scanning mode so it makes sense to me that something like that then starts playing replaying replaying and you overthink it right and it becomes a a risk narrative and it's like "Mm, yeah well if there's even a slight bit of risk I'm not going there right because you're in that mode of risk assessment to the to to a whole new level (laughs) of risk assessment that it becomes obsessive and uh, and it is fear based, and it is this fight or flight survival response, and it's real, and our bodies react. It's, this isn't just you know this is a full three sixty kind the of reaction. Full, yeah, yeah. And, and what's really, I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not a scaredy cat. Um, I, I'm you know I'm not an idiot. I don't put myself in you know, deliberately dangerous situations, but you know I'm 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 not a a, a scaredy cat, but it, it, some, it, something's changed, and, and I think what's quite, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's quite funny because at the beginning you said, oh, you know, is there anything you know that's off limits? And you know, I, I, if, if I ever, if something ever came up, I'd say, don't want to talk about that. I'm so used to talking about about bipolar. Mm. But I talk about complex PTSD a lot less, and certainly never really with someone that that understands it. Mm. Actually, it's quite difficult to talk about it. Not that it's it's not that it's difficult that I wouldn't want to talk about it, but it, it it's it's just really upsetting because this is real damage, and I think what's mm-hmm. I mean, in many respects, the bipolar is quite stable. It doesn't seem to get worse. And we, mm-hmm. and we um, you know, very good at kind of watching warning signs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think what I've noticed with the complex PTSD over the last kind of five years is that it, 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 it actually is getting intermittently worse because... Mm-hmm the because the abuse is continuing and i think what makes it what what makes it really really difficult is i've actually you know and and, you know and i said i left home when i was 19 Mm -hmm. from the moment i left home people kept going oh you know everyone falls out with their parents Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're not listening. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's very invalidating very minimizing language that yeah it's like mm-hmm. my, my, you know my, my my dad is six foot two at the time i mean i'm five foot ten at the time i weighed about 12 stone he weighed about 17 stone and the, the thing that caused me to leave home was you know he physically confronted me mm. and it's not it's and it's not just that it, 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 i mean you know well that was the least of it really it was that look in someone's eye that they want to hurt you mm, and sorry. no it's not i mean the, the, uh, and this this kind of um you know in you know, the short answer to why do i do the work that i do because i don't want bullies like that to be able to cause harm to people you know yeah. we dress it up well, don't, dress it up but you know the work i do has lots of different titles and you know different you know like trustee here or you know a bit of work there for me it's all chipping away at this situation that no one should be able to get away mm-hmm. with treating people in in that way and and you know i am under you know no illusions that you know, if it wasn't for the woman sat, in, you know, in the next room over, I'd probably be dead, or or in prison, or in hospital. You know, for huge periods of my life, because there was nobody else there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's 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 really interesting. And, and then just to kind of come back to the to the how does complex PTSD almost kind of interact with the bipolar when if i get into a point where i'm becoming increasingly you know the hypervigilance is 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 happening quite a lot Mm -hmm. that then becomes um a bit of a risk factor for the mood shifting one way or the other Mm -hmm. um so that's why we kind of have to so we're, so we're actually we're actually kind of monitoring the complex PTSD Correct. slightly more than we are the bipolar, just because Correct. of the we don't want to, um, to almost have that knock-on effect. So, Correct. and even talking about this is, is exhausting. <laughs> Completely. Steve, thank thank you so much for sticking with me and unpacking that with me in this conversation. And I'll tell you why, because I am a huge, huge believer in getting a real dig in what is our a result of our mental health condition and what is the result of our conditioning and how does one trigger the other? And when you say, actually, I have to be more monitoring on the triggers for my CPTSD because that is the thing that's going to send me XYZ because once you 
kind of adjust your right, right? I've done everything. I'm the same as you. I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink alcohol. I monitor what I eat. I try to sleep. I don't party like a lunatic anymore. You know, all these things that I used to love doing. Guess what? I'm like, you know, positively square nowadays. And uh <laughs> boring with a capital b sometimes but you know it's not it but it's it's to stay well exactly so with all these things in place and a psychiatrist and you know the right support and medication as and when we need it in the right way as and when we need it which we learn over years you and me like a decade in you kind of know what works for you You, you've got your go-tos don't need someone to tell you you say actually i know i need to do this and i'm that equals this and you know we get that but then there's the conditioning part. And I'm just so grateful that you just very honestly and vulnerably just unpack that because we can take all the pills, we can learn about bipolar, but if we don't start to understand our conditioned upbringing, then that will always be the kickstarter for something worse on the other side. So just thank you for doing that because oh, yeah. I, I think it will help people right because it's not just about getting a handle on bipolar it's about getting a handle on what kickstarts it one way or another as a result of all the different upbringings we've had and they're all different we all have bipolar but yeah. guess what we all come from different homes and till yeah. we get re- real about that we can't really get a full handle on the whole picture because we, we don't just live with bipolar we live with our life too right and I think Yeah, it's, you know, this has been a um, a really interesting conversation and really kind of um, quite an important conversation for for me. Um, I think sometimes, I think sometimes the world sees illnesses like bipolar disorder in a, bit of, in a bit of a vacuum and that is the worst thing that a person with bipolar disorder can do and, and, and you know I'm, I'm regularly taken back to to that classroom where we were doing mood on track and and it was so much about like you said being empowered to to understand our lives and how bipolar disorder you know kind of impacts that we were we were given lots of advice and stuff but we came up with our own plans mm-hmm. um and you know I'm, I'm you know so thankful to to bipolar the uk for you know punching above its weight really and and for doing things like this and um you know, I I think I want to spend a bit more time around my my bipolar peeps. It's um, mm-hmm. it, it it it's because even just talking about it like this, it's you just kind of there's so many complexities to it, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, gosh, wait, there's so much you could talk about, and so much mm-hmm. that it's like you know you can have too much good in your life because actually sometimes like you know if you have too much positive stimulation what's the impact of that and you know that's that can be as damaging as having too much negative um so 
there's no it's all about trying to find that balance which i think whilst not completely unique to bipolar disorder is is very very important to to live with bipolar disorder um so now i'm just i'm really glad that we spoke today oh me too well thank you steve for unpacking some of the sort of deeper complexities within bipolar and living with it um where can everybody find you where can everybody find me where can everyone find you if they want to come see what you do learn a bit more about you i'm a hermit so nowhere um uh on he is not open for tea parties everyone uh uh twitter is probably the best place to find me um uh you're gonna ask me for my twitter handle aren't you i am yeah i think it's (laughs) steve gilbert obe I'll put it. In, I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. It <laughs> it's um. It. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I think. No. I think I'm Steve. <laughs> just, just Google me. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's. I'll, I'll make sure you got the link. I'm not the most sociable person, but I do go on Twitter occasionally. No tea parties, um... people, just Twitter. So I will pop it. (laughs) (laughs) Steve is open for Twitter, not tea parties. And I will put his link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been lovely talking to you today and getting to know you a bit better. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar, the podcast brought to you by Bipolar UK. Please go to our website, www.bipolaruk.org, for all of our resources and all of the support that we can offer you.